There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. Now, these, these four, tough to, uh, they're, they're amazing. Um, all, all four of them, and I think through, through studies, through physics and, and science, we can understand now how an eagle flies and how a ship sails and, and even how a snake uh, moves across the rocks. But I don't know if there's one person in the world that's ever been able to figure out why men uh, act the way they do in front of young women. Um, the, it just it, it baffles me sometimes. Uh, a man will go to such great lengths to impress a woman. Um, I can think about a couple times when I did this. Uh, when I was in school, I played basketball. Uh, I wasn't very good, um, but I tried really, really hard, whether it was conditioning, uh, practice. I mean, I'm sprinting for everything. Even when we're supposed to walk, I'm still sprinting, you know, uh, just, just going full speed. But I thought that was high, that was 100%. And, and, you know, sometimes coach will say, go, go 110%. Well, I don't, that doesn't make sense. 100% is everything until a young man sees a young woman. And there's that extra 10%. I could kick it into high gear, and I would try a little bit harder when a young woman was around that I was trying to impress. Um, I, I think of when I was in seventh grade. Uh, I've, a lot of people know the story or, or remember it, um, but I didn't always share. I don't share all these details because it's kind of embarrassing. Um, but when, when I was in seventh grade, I, I was driving a go-kart with, with my sister and my friend, and, and we, uh, we would go around a building. We each had 20 laps. So I, I, I did my 20 laps, but on my 20th lap, I saw two high school girls. Now, I'm in seventh grade. These high school girls, I'm going to impress them. So I went right by my, my sister and my friend, um, just, uh, just full speed. They're, you know, they're wanting me to stop. It's, that's, my, that's my turns up. But uh, I went around, hit gravel, hit the front of a park semi, snapped my leg in half, tore up the back of my knee. I, I still, I, when I play basketball, my knee looks like a softball. Um, I'm still living with that. I tried to impress two high school girls for no reason. Sorry, Mom, I didn't tell you that was why I did that. Uh, but um, men have been, have been like this for forever, I mean, for the longest time. Uh, stories like Helen of Troy, A War Over a Woman, Romeo and Juliet, although it's Shakespeare. Uh, Mark Antony took his own life after hearing that Cleopatra had taken hers, even though she hadn't. It was, it was a hoax. Uh, in, in the Bible, very early on, we read of, of men trying to pursue women, and especially this one. A man named Jacob loved a young woman so much that he was willing to work seven years for seven years of his life. Uh, he was actually tricked and had to work 14 years. Um, but in verse 20, it says this, uh, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, be but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Seven years only felt like just a few days because of, of his love for her. And I know exactly what he's talking about. My wife and I were, were approaching 10 years of, of being married, uh, coming up in November here. And uh, in 10 years with my wife, sometimes it only feels like it's been 10 minutes. It just goes by. Now for her, 10 years of marriage has felt more like 10 minutes underwater. <laughs> but what I want to talk about today is, 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 uh, is so much bigger than the pursuit of man for a woman. 
See, as a man went to great lengths and, and has gone to great lengths for a woman, so Jesus went to great lengths for his bride. Now, you, you might be thinking, well, where in the Bible did Jesus get married and have a bride? Um, we didn't. Uh, G, the, the bride of Jesus, the bride of Christ, is the church. So that is us. That means he went to great lengths for all of us. Uh, so this morning, when you hear me talk about Jesus' bride or the bride of Christ, that's us. That's the church. And, and we like to separate what the church really is. We say the church, the capital C church, big C, that's, that's the body of all believers across the whole world, all the Christians. But then there's the, the lowercase c, the little church. That's the local congregation. That's just, just right here. And that's, that's how I'm going to describe it, but the truth is there's no separation. Even, even if we meet in this building and, and other Christians meet in different buildings in this town or uh, in a different state or in a different country, we all make up the same body of believers, the bride of Christ. And so if Jesus then went to such great pursuit for the church or for us, do we share that same love? And so, so today's question is number six of our 10-part series called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. And the question today is, do you delight in the bride of Christ or do you love the church? Our spiritual health is in direct correlation with our love for the church. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, which we love then what Jesus loved or we love who Jesus loves. Are we, are we the church that Jesus wants us to be? This, this local congregation, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, how are we doing? Now, I think there's a couple things that's, that, that holds back the global church. Uh, there's, these, there's these people, um, and we may not have known about them before, uh, the internet and social media, but there's a large group of people that they say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I love Jesus, but I hate, I hate the church. Right? The, these people, um, that would be like if someone said to me, hey, I really like you, I can't stand your wife. Well, I'm going to take offense to that, and I'm not really going to think you like me if that's what you say about my wife. Um, someone says, hey, you're a really good guy, but you sure did marry down. Now, no one's ever said that. They've probably said that to my wife. But if someone did say that to me, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like that. Um, but the good news is about those people is, you know where they are right now? They're probably at home sleeping. They're not, they're not influencing, influencing anything, really. I mean, they could, I love Jesus, but I, can, I don't like the church. Well, then, then I mean, good for you, uh, but, it, but you're not really doing anything that matters with your life. And, but, but we have a bigger problem among the church. And, and I don't want this to come across as, as uh, you know, talking down or, or being negative. Um, but I'm going to tell you why. I think the bigger problem is that the church suffers from us, from the people who say we're Christians, we love the church, um, but, well we might be slowly killing the church. And this is tough. See, this is nothing new. I found this article. It was actually written last week, but it was a paraphrase from an article that this guy had found. It was, it was titled, Ten Ways to Kill a Church, and it was written in 1959. And so the good news is, this was written in 1959, and we still have church. Uh, so some people have been doing some good the church still exists. This church is still open. It's been open for a long time. Um, so there is some good, um, but there's also some negative. So maybe all these uh, don't apply to everyone, but, but just think about some of them a little bit if you would. And again, this list is not mine, but I've just added some thoughts throughout. And so 10 ways to kill the church. Number one, don't come. 
uh, we need to meet together. And if you're here today, well, you have come, so this one probably doesn't apply to you too much, right? But, but if there is a, a tension and you're not sure if you should, you, you should be here, maybe you don't like the music or the preaching or the leadership and you just have this critical attitude and I don't know if I should be there or not, you can go to a different congregation, and that's really okay. And I, I don't mean this to be a bad thing, but it's okay to, to go to a different church if you just, there's just, you're not serving, you're not getting anything, you're not giving anything, the relationship between that local congregation is just not there, go to a different one. See, because this is not about killing Mount Pulaski Christian Church. This article was not written about killing the local congregation. This was about killing the bride of Christ. And when you say it like that, you know, it, it sounds a lot worse. I don't want to kill the bride of Christ. So what do I need to do then? What changes do I need to make? Uh, number two way to kill the church, if you do come, you make sure it's late. Now, I'm, I'm like other people. I'll go to a baseball game three hours early. You know, I want to get there for batting practice. I want to I have fun, right? Um, I, I worked uh, at a different place for a while. I don't always show up on time now. But when I worked at a factory, I always showed up. And I've heard people say, I've worked there for 30 years, and I've ne- I was never late for work. I was early every day for 30 years, no problem, right? I was always early. Um, I've heard people who go hunting, and maybe even on Sunday mornings, they somehow can wake up before the sun comes up to get out and do a tree stand and hunt, but then when it comes to being here on time, uh, you're not going to see it happen very often. And, and I don't want to call people out who have good reasons. I, I, worked, like, I worked third shift for a couple of years and got off at 7.18 when I worked Saturday nights into Sunday morning. Had to shower, had to get to get here from Decatur. That was hard to make it sometimes. Um, I have kids, and if I didn't work here, well, I, I would probably come with them. And right when you're walking out the door, it never fails. A kid has to go to the bathroom, or you have to change a diaper real quick, and then you're late. You know, it, 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 those things happen. But without good reason, do you come to church late just so you don't have to, you know, come for the part that you don't want to come? Maybe you don't want to sing, and that's first, so I'll, I'll, I'll come a little bit late. I understand it, but, but how effective are you? You know, that's the, that's the consumer mentality. I'm going to go for the parts I want to consume, but how many people have you greeted uh, when you come late? I don't, it probably doesn't happen, right? Uh, number three, you only, only show up when the weather is good. Now, again, I didn't write this article. This could mean two things. The actual weather, when it's raining, I don't want to get wet, so I'm not going to go to church, right? Um, but I think it's more about when life is tough. Some people want to come to church when life's going well and praise God, but as soon as the storm hits, as soon as there's a challenge, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off a little bit. I don't really want to be around people. I get that. It's tough sometimes. And so these first three are, are about attendance, and the rest of the list it's not. But, but really, if, if you don't want to be a part of killing the church, show up, show up on time, be engaged, right? Uh, number four, find fault with everything and or everyone. Now, this was my favorite one on the list. See, I'm really, really happy that everyone is here. Obviously, we don't want the church to slowly die. Um, But but the thing is, there are people that maybe I want to be here, but I just hope they don't come and talk to me. That's not nice. Uh, Some people just like to complain, and and they'll start like this. Hey, I just need to talk to you for a quick second. And what that means is they they want enough time that they can voice a complaint, and they don't have to hear a response, because it's just a quick second, right? And, and you know this, and I'm not talking about one time, when it just continually happens, you, you, you might walk a different way to try to avoid people over there, and we, we don't want that, but you don't want to be that person either. Um, and, and so finding fault with everything, just being critical, it's, an, it's just more about attitude. Uh, number five, 
way to kill the church. Never accept a leadership role or responsibility. It's, this is when you're asking what the church can do for you and your family, but not what you can do for your church. I think I've heard that before. Some famous person said something like that about our country. Um, but, but yeah, what, what can we do for the church? Number six, you, you get mad if you're not appointed a leadership position. Some people want the title, but they don't want to serve. They don't want to do what it takes to have that responsibility. Um, and so I guess I would just ask myself this. If this were your last Sunday at Mount Pulaski Christian Church, if you never came back again, um, if you know for some reason you moved away, you just didn't attend, next Sunday, what would they say, oh no, we have to take care of this? Oh, um, he, he's gone, so we have, we have to fill this responsibility real quick. Or, or she's not here, oh wait, she didn't do anything, so it's okay. right? What are you doing uh, for the church, for the kingdom here? Um, Number seven, uh, never give your opinion in a meeting. Wait till after the meeting. Now, this is cowardly or divisive, but it's never productive. I'm going to keep going. Number eight, do nothing more than absolutely necessary. And this is the one thing that I quoted directly from the article because he, he wrote it so well. So I, these are not my words. I'm just going to read it here. It says this, The sad reality, however, is that most people who only want to do the least love to criticize those who are doing the most. They howl about how the church is being run by a clique when they never offered or took initiative to get any work done. That's, that's just very well said. It's just, it's just hard sometimes. No one wants it to be ran a certain way, or sometimes we want it to be different, but we just complain instead of doing something. Number nine, way to kill the church, hold back your giving to the Lord. Now, less money just means less ministry. Personally, uh, maybe we've all at times had a low budget, we had to cut back a little bit. Professionally, maybe at work, you're not allowed to spend money on things. I know what it's like both. Sometimes we just, we just have to, to cut back. So less money, less money then means less ministry, doing less good in the community and the world. And so when we stop giving then, what we're doing is killing the ministries of the church and we're be becoming ineffective, or at least not as effective as we could be. So like even that video said, it's not about wanting money. It's about wanting to do more ministry, wanting to reach people. And then number 10, uh, last way to kill the church, don't reach out to the unchurched. Now, we have a lot of kids in here and a lot of young families. If we never reached out outside these walls, we might still be able to keep the doors open, maybe. But what good would we be? If Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and we don't do that, then why would we have church? Let's just let's close the doors and, and go home. So that's it then, 10 ways to kill the church. And as much as that might sound a little bit negative, or at least challenging, I hope, um, I really liked it because it got me thinking a lot about the future of the church. Um, with, with today, you know, we're celebrating children and families and, and dedicating children and, and families to God. I wonder how we may impact the fu future of the church for families, for, for young kids. And I know we can blame the government and media and celebrities and all the influence that everyone else has, but I'm talking about what can we do as a body of believers for the good of the church in the future? What kind of church do we want our kids to grow up in? Um, I mean, what if, what if in 30 years um, these kids who are dedicated here today or, or maybe the ones who haven't been yet or, or the ones who have been dedicated other places, I know there's so many kids here. What if these kids woke up in 30 years and there was no Mount Pulaski Christian Church? What if there was no no local congregation at all for the, these kids to, 
to, uh, to worship in or to, to know who Jesus is. I mean, we just assume there'll always be church. It's, it's been around for, for a long time, so it'll probably be along for, uh, around for a long time, but the truth is every church, every local congregation has a life cycle. Uh, they all die at some point. Uh, whether we make it 70 or 80 years or, or 200 years, the church will not, this congregation will not exist at some point in time unless Jesus comes back first. The reason I feel confident in that is because every church that existed before, every local congregation has died at some point or is in their current life cycle. It's just like a person. We, we're born, we can be productive or not, and then we die. Same thing with the church. And so what if there is no church in 30 years? That'd be pretty sad. But let's assume the best. There's a church here in 30 years. What's it going to look like? What will the church look like? See, all Christians, local and distant, make up the, the one body that's the bride of, of Jesus. But this local congregation, Mount Pulaski Christian Church, will be the avenue that, that people know who Jesus is. Uh, you, you will, you, we will influence the community, your schools, uh, your workplaces, um, the nursing home. The people in this community will know who Jesus is and have an idea of what Christianity means because of us. Not because of another church in a different town. They've got their own area to, 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 uh, to minister to. And so what do we do here at Mount Pulaski Christian Church for the good of, of the community? I don't want to be part of the problem. I want my children's children to have the same spiritual benefits that we have right now for our kids. Um, and I want this more than anything because of my love for the church. Now, I want to tell you why I love the church, because I'll tell you first, I get frustrated. Sometimes I wonder, maybe I should work somewhere besides the church. Sometimes the weight of different things is just, and I'm not talking about just for me. I, I think we all have probably felt, you know, some kind of feelings of frustration or I don't like the way that's done. Um, I wondered sometimes if I didn't work at a church, would I serve faithfully? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to challenge people too, but I wonder if I would myself, and I think I would, but I, I can't know for sure. But, but why do I love the church regardless of any frustrations that I could have? Um, I need to ask you a question, and I, I'd really like some participation here. Um, so raise your hand if you became a Christian on a golf course. Okay? Uh, raise your hand if you became a Christian out on a lake, not at a church camp. I had to take that out. Okay? Uh, how about at a shopping mall? A baseball game? We got one. All right. You messing around? Thanks. Thanks a lot. Way to ruin my illustration. You know what? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Raise your hand if you became a Christian at the church, a church camp, or a church conference. There's the first one we've had hands, and it's the majority of the people. How about raise your hand if you became a Christian through someone who reached out to you from a local church or congregation? Yeah, a couple more. I love the church because I found out who Jesus was through the church, and you did too. That's it. Without the church, take away the church, the local congregation. How many of us know about Jesus? How many of us? Not only one, the baseball game guy. That's it, <laughs> right? The local church is, is doing something that nothing else could have possibly done and will not, nothing else will do like the church has done. So we may feel like we're not doing the right programs or we don't have enough events or our ministry teams aren't, aren't as good as they should be. Sorry, that's my fault. Um, but, but we are reaching people for Jesus. So we are fulfilling our mission. We're doing, we're doing what we're supposed to do. That's why I love the church. Taking myself out of this, taking us out of this, 
Jesus has, Jesus has some feelings about the church as well. In Ephesians 5, it's, a, it's another text that's about weddings. Um, I mean, we use at weddings. Like, the last one I preached was 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Everyone uses that at weddings. This one is also read at weddings, and it's about a relationship between a husband and a wife. But it's also about so much more. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So how does Jesus feel about the church? Again, from verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. First, Jesus is devoted to the church. He died for us. Jesus came to the earth 30, 33 years um, he built relationships with people. That's the engagement period, right? That's supposed to be the fun time, the engagement. I'm not sure how much fun he was actually having and what he did, but, but that was the engagement period. The relationship was built. But for the relationship to become real and for this to matter, Jesus gave himself fully by dying for us. See, uh, when, you, when a bride and groom, or uh, they come up on their wedding day and they make their vows, and, you know, and he says, I do, and she says, I do, and, and, then, and then they're married, Well, Jesus said, I do, not with words, but with actions, by dying for us. And the greatest part about this is he didn't do it, or he he did it, not knowing if we would say, I do, in return. Jesus didn't know if the commitment was going to be there, and for some people it's not. But Jesus went up there anyway and said, you know what? I do. He died for us. That's unconditional love. Jesus wanted a relationship so much that he would give anything, and that's what he did. And if this, if this love of Jesus is new to you, if you've never heard it before, I hope you'll come up and talk to a prayer counselor or, or find me or, or an elder or, or even a, a, or Mark or a friend that, that brought you here. We want to help you take the next step. This is, this is our mission. As you can see by the hands that went up, we want people to know Jesus more than anything. How else does Jesus feel about the church? Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Jesus has a desire for the church. He wants to make us clean. See, the Word or the Bible gives us an opportunity to know who Jesus was and also to live a life that's different, uh, a life that, that God wants for us, that Jesus wants us to have as his bride, even if we don't think it's what's best. We don't always want to follow the Bible, but, but he's given us this opportunity to live a better life. But even more, the water in this verse symbolized baptism or, or becoming right with God. Not through actions, um, but through Jesus' righteousness. We become right with God through what Jesus did for us. Romans three twenty one and 22. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus made us clean through his death on the cross, taking our sins, but we become right with God then when we believe this, when we accept this, when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior. How else does Jesus feel about the church? Verse 27, And to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus has a destination for the church. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with you forever. Imagine that, a, a groom wanting to be with his bride. 
And that's what he's wanting. He's wanting us forever. And I know these points are very simple, and, and many of you uh, have heard these before. But this is what we have to share. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that his love was unconditional, and it is for each and every person. And he wants you to be part of this body that makes up his bride and will be with him in heaven forever. Jesus was so dedicated to the church, and he showed that. And so when we know this, when we know what, how much Jesus loves us then, what does it mean to delight in the bride of Christ? What does it mean to love the church in return? If we are the church, we are the bride, what does it mean? Verse 28, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Love the church as much as you love yourself. It's that easy. I, I love myself enough that I think about my future and I want it to be better. Um, or, or maybe at least the same. I don't want it to be worse, that's for sure. Um, I, I think about the needs that I have. I need food. I need water. So what needs does the church have that I can also uh, care for? The love that I have for myself is natural and easy. We all share that. The love for the church isn't always so easy. But how can we love the church like Jesus did? Because here's the thing. I mentioned this idea earlier, but you cannot love Jesus without loving the church. It doesn't make, it's, it's impossible. You're not loving part of Jesus. Let me tell you why. Ephesians 5 continues a couple of verses later. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So we read that verse at weddings. You know, the husband and wife, bride and groom, they become one flesh. So now they're married, they're united. Got what God has brought together, let man not separate. Right? That's about us. That's, a, that's when we get married. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. As the bride and the groom become one and they're united. No, that's not what he's talking about. He says, this is a mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. As Jesus and the church become one flesh because of his commitment to us. So we are part of the body of Christ. We really are. So when you say, I love Jesus, I don't love the church. It makes no sense. Like saying, I I love my left side of my body, but not my right side. You can't, you can't separate the two. Jesus wanted this union. This is, what he, this is why he died for us. So I'm not, I'm not going to give some application today. Sometimes I, I like to give a list um, of things that maybe you should do from this text. Um, but I, I think that if you really want uh, to love the church, or you want to do something good for it, I think you'll figure that out. So what I'm going to ask is, if you want an application, just go to that list of, of ten things um, to kill, ten ways to kill the church. Just don't do those. That'd be easy enough, right? Uh, just, just don't kill the church. Um, but, but I think sometimes when we have an application, it becomes a minimum requirement. Like if I look at my bulletin and there's these three points of practical application, then I'm going to check off one, two, and three this week or this year, and then I'm good to go. But we want to progress and move forward. Um, so instead, I want to leave you with some questions. I want you to pray about a couple things and then, uh, and, and then see what God wants you to do for this church. And so as we continue to move forward as the bride of Christ, first, what attitude will you have towards the church? Will it be positive or negative? I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. What's your attitude towards the church going to be? Um, second, will you kill the church? I, I know no one intends to, but are you going to do things that will that will harm the church, uh, to maybe kill the church faster than it would normally, uh, normally die or the life cycle would end. 
But I think most of us fall into this, this last, these last two questions. No one has the intentions to, to kill the church, especially if you're here. And so it comes down to this. Are you going to sit back and do nothing and just watch and see? See what happens to the church. If it, if it stays open, great. If not, I wasn't doing anything anyway, so it doesn't really change me at all. That's the first option. Or will you love the church like Jesus did? Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. I, I thank you for all the children here today, uh, those who were brought forward uh, and dedicated, and, and, uh, and also all the other children who were here in this congregation this morning. Uh, I thank you that, uh, that they are here. That, that means their parents brought them here uh, to know uh, more about you and to be raised in a church, uh, to know your love and to share that with others. Uh, God, we trust you uh, with our family. Uh, we, we trust you with our lives. And, and, and so I just pray that our trust continues to grow so that the kingdom may grow, uh, so that others will also know more about you. Uh, again, we thank you for, for the commitment that you made to us and the devotion that you showed and the desire you have for us and the hope of eternity um, because of, of your love. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.